Today is Good Friday. It's the day when Christians around the world remember the cross of Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus was the most significant event in human history. It demonstrated the character and depth of God's love. And we're going to celebrate that resurrection love on Sunday. But today I want us to pause and consider God's love through the lens of the cross. We're not going to use the typical gospel narratives. Instead, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ruth. And if you don't know the story of Ruth so far, let me catch you up. Ruth was a young Moabite woman, probably in her mid to late 20s. Her husband was an Israelite from Bethlehem. He traveled to Moab with his family during a famine. And 10 years into their marriage with no children, Ruth's husband died. Instead of staying in her home country, which was the sensible choice, she followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. Ruth started collecting leftover barley in the field of a man named Boaz. She expected to return home with a few handfuls of grain, but Boaz turned out to be a very generous man. He protected Ruth and broke the rules of his culture, allowing her to take as much as she wanted. Now, with that background, we're ready to begin chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So Naomi tells Ruth, I want you to clean yourself up. I want you to anoint yourself with good-smelling perfume, and I want you to sneak into a sketchy situation with this man named Boaz. Now, Naomi was hoping that Boaz would accept this gesture as a proposal for marriage. But Ruth would be taking an enormous risk. If this plan backfired, Ruth would be ruined. Boaz could easily take advantage of her, or he could simply reject her, in either case bringing shame and an uncertain future upon Ruth. Socially and culturally, this was a terrible idea. At that time, men negotiated marriages, not women. Women never proposed a marriage. And Ruth had no bargaining power. She had no dowry to offer him. Marrying Ruth would give Boaz no social or political advantages. She was a foreigner. She was a widow. She had been married already for 10 years and had produced no children. So this was a risky and possibly even dangerous thing to do. Why did Ruth take the risk? It's because Boaz had proven himself to be a good man and because Naomi believed this was their only hope for peace and stability. Shalom, the Bible calls it. And Ruth agreed. Let's find out what happened next. Verse six, so Ruth went to the threshing floor 
and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now commentaries have debated that verse for centuries. Was this a sexual proposition or was this just an opportunity for the two of them to have a private conversation? We don't really know, but one thing is clear. There is a sexual tension in this moment. This was dangerous for Ruth because the sinful heart of any man, even the best of men, could have led Boaz to the wrong choice. And even if we read the story in the most innocent way possible, it was still a marriage proposition, one that broke every social and cultural convention at that time. This was not a meet-cute. This was a bold and risky move by a very brave young woman, and she's not done. Verse 8 says this, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, if you remember, Naomi told Ruth to say nothing. She told Ruth to wait and let Boaz do the talking. But Ruth speaks, and she makes the situation even more risky. She says two things. First, she says, spread your wings over your servant. And notice that's not a request. It's actually written as a command. And she's using Boaz's own words against him. Back in chapter 2, Boaz gave Ruth a blessing. He said this, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth turns that prayer back on Boaz. She's saying to him, You can be the answer to your own prayer if you take responsibility for me. Second, Ruth brings up a law known as the law of the kinsman redeemer. And this is a legally complicated thing, so let me try to explain. You see, Boaz was actually not a redeemer for Ruth, but for Naomi. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, owned some land in the town of Bethlehem. And normally that land would have been inherited by their sons. But with all the men in the family dead, there were no heirs for that land. And yet God's law provided a way to save the family tree. A close relative could marry the widow, and then if they had a son, that child would become the new heir. In this case, Naomi was the one to be redeemed, not Ruth. Now, by bringing up this law, Ruth has complicated Naomi's plan. You see, Naomi only wanted to get a husband for Ruth. She was not looking for a redeemer for herself. Ruth takes it further because she is thinking of Naomi, not herself. Here's the bottom line. Both women were prepared to sacrifice their own future for the sake of the other. And it made for a beautiful, risky mess. 
And now all of that lies at the feet of Boaz. What do you think he will do? Verse 10, And Boaz said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And so lie down until the morning. Now the Hebrew there in that last sentence is very clear. Nothing happens. They both go to sleep. Boaz has proven himself to be an honorable man. He does not take advantage of Ruth. Instead, he accepts her proposal of marriage, and he commits to fighting for it, even though he's not actually the closest redeemer. Notice also that in verse 11, he calls Ruth a worthy woman. The word in Hebrew is hayel. It's the same word that was used to describe Boaz in chapter 2. In fact, the only other place in the whole Bible that that word is used to describe a woman is in Proverbs 31. Ruth is noble. She is honorable. She is strong, is what he's saying about her. But the world did not expect that response from Boaz. How could it, right? The world that we live in does not treat human beings as equals. Everything in this world is about status and money and power and sex. Ruth was at the very bottom of the social ladder and she went to Boaz in the middle of the night kind of like a prostitute. He was one of the most important men in town. His reputation was at stake. In fact, his own inheritance was actually at stake. The world expected rejection. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Men aren't more important than women. Rich people aren't more important than poor people. Citizens aren't more important than immigrants. You see, God offers us a better way to live than the world's way. This story is a powerful illustration of God's Hesed love that we've been talking about, his steadfast love. We call it love without an exit strategy. We talked about how it's a one-way kind of love. And today we also learned that it's actually a sacrificial love. It's a love until it hurts kind of love. We see it in Naomi, who was willing to give up her own claim for a redeemer in order to save Ruth. We see it in Ruth, who was willing to give up her personal happiness for the sake of Naomi's claim. And we see it in Boaz, who was willing to submit to God's way when the world's way was clearly better for him. They all show us what it means to love until it hurts. But the story is even bigger than that. See, why was Ruth accepted and loved when she could have been so easily rejected? 
it's not just that Boaz was a good man. The answer, of course, is that God had bigger plans than they did. If Boaz had rejected Ruth that night, then the names of Elimelech and his sons would have been forgotten to history. But more importantly, the family tree of the Messiah would have been broken. And that brings us back to Good Friday, back to the cross. You see, the cross was God's greatest picture of love until it hurts. Just as there was a powerful tension that night on the threshing floor in Bethlehem, there was a powerful tension that day, Good Friday, at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the world had rejected the Son of God. He was the most worthy, most honorable man to ever walk the earth, and the world rejected him. He left the throne of heaven to become a man. He was willing to become poor. He was willing to risk his reputation to love people into his kingdom. He died the death of a criminal beside criminals, mocked and scorned as a worthless failure. But that was our God, the defender of widows, father to the fatherless. That was God's sacrificial love on display at the cross. That was our Redeemer buying us back at great cost to himself. Did you notice the last promise made by Boaz to Ruth in verse 13? It should be ringing in our ears. He said to Ruth, As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. As the Lord lives. As he lives. Now for Boaz, that was just a way to say how serious he was about the promise because how can the Lord stop living, right? And yet, that is the mystery of the cross, that the Son of God would stop living so that we could be redeemed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no love in this world without suffering. There is no love without pain. There is no love without cost. There are plenty of cheap substitutes in this world, but the real thing always requires sacrifice. I'm learning this each and every day. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. I want to invite you to join us Easter Sunday. Worship is at 1030 a.m. where we will finish the story of Ruth and we will celebrate the resurrecting love of Jesus Christ. See you then.